Um, yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you can hear me, but I'll disconnect and reconnect. Anything? Said that recording started, but I don't hear anyone talking. All right, uh, Isaac, I should be able to hear you now, huh? Uh, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You hear uh, me? Well, okay. I had to call in. Yeah, I had to call in by phone, so. Um, yeah, it says the recording is running, here. or it did. Uh, on text. Has anyone else called back in? It kicked us no, all I out as a moderator. Yeah, I I killed the call. Um, I sent um, Russell a text to have him call back in at seven fifty. Okay. So they should be calling in shortly. I had to have enough time to create the call. So we don't know what's going on, but last week something prompted Melissa that when we started the recording, she was able to go to her computer again. Otherwise, she had to log in by phone. And so now we're thinking that probably what the problem has been is the, um, is that it's doing the same thing. Hmm. I've only been using the phone interface for it. I've never used the computer account.
okay. And Russell said okay, so he's finally got the text. And then Rich, I should probably try to call again or send one to Rich. This is Russell's last name. Oh, maybe don't say here. Never mind. Since the recording is on. All right, there there he is. Good evening, Russell. Good evening. You know, having a Did you get a chance to did you get a chance to tell Rich to call in again? No, they took me off they threw us off the air. Yeah, so you didn't get a chance to tell him you didn't get the text soon enough, right? Right. Okay. I'll I'll uh, just bear with me. I'll get uh and good evening, Melissa. Good evening. And I'll I'll get uh, Rich notified here. I heard another one. That's me. Good That's evening. you. Okay. All right. And then uh, doesn't look right. All right, I'm getting rich. Um, rough and ruddy. Melissa, you know him, I think, maybe, perhaps, huh, or no? Yes, I'm sending him an email right now. Okay. All right, I just sent Rich one. So, yeah, we don't know exactly what it is, but we're still inclined to believe it's this uh, something's going on when the recording is is being started. Uh, when things are working, but um, when you guys were on the phone, I was. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and Melissa, if you try your computer again later, and you're actually able to to stay connected and hear us and everything, that I guess would be uh, an indication that it's it's. I I don't know. We started the recording right away on the call, so, but I'll get a. I'll get another take it in on this. Connected on the computer and um, I'll okay. Let you, I'll let you know if the audio comes back. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll get resolved and it will come back later on. But knows. Um, if you want, Jeremiah, you can generate a ticket. Um, yeah, you probably don't have all the details for it, so you probably probably won't be able to. Um, all right, well. Uh, I did send Rich out a uh, text telling him to go ahead and join. So hopefully he'll he'll get that um, and he'll be able to get back on. You had a chance to talk with him a little bit, huh, Russell? Uh huh. He's doing a little better. He thinks. Well, good. Praise the Lord. Mhm. Indeed. 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 And all right, well, good evening, uh, Isaac. Uh, there's a there's a fair name we haven't heard for a while. Been a little while, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What is this? Jug juggle two children. 
Oh my, I was going to say, what is this, baby leave or something that you've been on? And sure, sure enough, you say you're juggling two children. Oh, uh, maybe Melissa would like to play a violin for you or perhaps <laughs> Russell would or... <laughs> tell, tell us, Russell, how do we juggle two children? Same way we juggle six? <laughs> Well, what you do is you let some of the, you let some of the children juggle some of the children. Yeah. Well, I think I think uh, you <laughs> got a few exactly, years. <laughs> that's exactly what she would do if we let her. <laughs> her four-year-old would literally try to juggle her little brother. I think. <laughs> yeah, there is a uh, a um, period of time there that you have to kind of let them grow up a little. <laughs> Most definitely. We're having a fun time right now on Saturday. Let's see, what was it? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a, everybody's got a cold. I dodged it this time, but I had it pretty bad two months ago or a month ago. So it might be the same one. And so our daughter has a, the cold along with everybody else. And uh, she choked on her cereal uh we gave her cereal one evening as a, like a bedtime snack and she choked on her cereal like a piece got stuck in her throat and so she panicked you know and she coughed that up herself but then the next morning gave her her cereal and she choked on that one and i had to put her over my knee and tip her down to get that out and she hasn't eaten solid food basically since sunday morning since that happened um, you knew. She's she's panicking every time she gets food, solid food in her mouth. She's panicking about it, and she's afraid she's going to choke mm -hmm. again. And so we're making her like a smoothie, fruit smoothie and stuff each day, but trying to, you know, make it so she's a little bit hungry too throughout the day so that she'll maybe be incentivized to eat, but she won't eat anything. She we put like her favorite candies out and stuff and she won't touch any of it. So trying to figure out if we're going to be able to get her past that somehow. So How old is she? Fun. Four. She just turned four. Cause I was going to say, cause I thought it was a, a baby. Cause I was going to say I would um, make their cereal more liquidy and cut a big hole in the bottle <laughs> in the nipple. Uh -huh. and, but if oh, yeah. before she take a bottle. <laughs> Well, she yeah, might. she's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're gonna try doing the smoothies for a few days or something, and then try to throw in like some mashed potatoes and some stuff like that, and see if she can make the transition. But she really is having kind of panic, pretty pretty bad panics about having food in her mouth that she has to chew up. So we'll figure it out, but it's kind of kind of tricky. It's weird. Yeah. 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 Children. They're tricky, they aren't they? They don't come with a book. It's a, it's a learning. Yeah. You learn as you can. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a unique, each one of them's a unique model. Go ahead, Russell. Do do y'all ever have God intervene in your life and you know it can be nobody but God? That's how you know it's God. 
February is our worst month of the year in terms of product production. So sure. we're always sweat sweating it out. You only have 28 days too. Uh, it's just nobody really does much in February in our uh, industry. So Cindy sure. came in there this morning and said, "You you better go. You better go find some work." Because we got to have a bills are due here next week again, and uh, so I'm going to shorten this real quick. I'm I'm calling on some guys that that are good for some things. You know, they play small orders just because I come by and see them. And then I, I have this guy that owns a, a garden uh, nursery. And I'd already sowed that seed several times uh, weeks ago. So I get out of the car and I see Monica outside. She's the owner's wife. She comes running up to me. And she said, you're not going to believe this. We were going to get in our car and come to your place. We need 100 T-shirts now. (laughs) And I said, you're not going to believe this. God told me to stop by and say hello. And they all looked at me real crazy. I said, you call it what you want, but I'm giving him the credit for this this whole thing. And she just kept saying over and over, God, uh, God, thank you. She just said, I just can't believe, you know, she was using the word God. And I called Cindy and told her, I said, this, this is... This is God doing this. I mean, really, it. There's no other answer. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. So he's out there and in, in space listening. So he's going to put a check mark and go. Well, Russell gave me credit for that one, huh? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> I sure did, Lord. Because, Doug, you think about when you hear that small, still small voice in your head telling you to do something or telling you to look up a certain scripture. It is amazing, isn't it? It is. And you have the option of doing it or saying, ah, that's, that's just ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking that, was I? <laughs> <laughs> well now only you know that well you know what I mean you're sitting there you know and to deny the spirit that's what you're actually saying is that I'm not really thinking that am I <laughs> Yeah. well usually you get sidetracked in, in other words he gives you a period of time to act and if you just kind of hold off on it or you don't act you will get sidetracked and the next day, the next three days, next hour, next week, you'll say to yourself, I sh- well, I should have done that. I, I guess I'll go try it now or whatever. But, but when it happens, you know it. You know it. No other explanation. You best tell others and give him the glory. I think he likes that. Uh, he wouldn't we like somebody to thank us for something? <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, 
your text that I received this week uh, mm-hmm. with the scripture reference um, out of Matthew chapter uh, 28, mm-hmm. verses 13 and 14, mm-hmm. um, was kind of a second witness again for me as to a little bit of what my thoughts seem to be on and and directed toward. Let's just turn over to Matthew chapter 28 and 13 and 14. Actually, I've got that wrong. Um, See, what were you in? You were in... uh... Uh, I'll tell you here as soon as I get my glasses on. I thought it was Matthew 23, but here, let's double-check it. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 13. I didn't... I I really should have sent you 15 as well because that is the one where it says they took the money and did as they had been instructed. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's read it. Um you want to go ahead and read it or are you in there or do you need me to Yeah, I'm there. Your... You want me to start yeah. at 13? Yeah, start at 13. Okay, this is the Or start uh, at 11 uh, and start at 11 yeah. if you want for context. Okay. Now now while they were on their way, behold some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest Everything that had happened prior to this, uh, the ladies found out that the tomb was empty. And when they had assembled with the elder elders and council together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Okay, so in verse 12, it looks like they're getting paid off, doesn't it? Okay, now read on. And 13, and said... You are to say, in other words, here's your script. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And the soldiers took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story is widely spread among the the Antichrist to this day. Indeed. And so it made me think that that was a second witness because in the King James, it says, so they, um, so they took the money and did as they were taught. And your version said, did as they were instructed. And then again, it confirms that it was commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Um, so where I was beginning, and let's turn there, was in Matthew chapter 16. And this is why it appeared to me, again, that your text was a second witness to what it was that these thoughts that had come to me. A parallel passage to this, if somebody wants to go there, would be in Mark chapter 8, verses 12 to 21. 
Matthew 16, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to skip around a little bit here. I'm going to do 5 and 6 and drop down to 11 and 12. Go ahead, Russell. Tell tell everybody, I will, the title of my text to you was uh, Some Things Never Change. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so in here in 16, 5 and 6, They've, of course, asked him for a sign. We covered this in a couple of weeks in the past here. And here at five, he said, when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They reasoning among themselves said, is it because we've taken no bread? So you can see they're all kind of sweating in their boots saying, why did he say that? Uh, you know, did he say that because he knows that we came without bread? Drop on down to 11 and 12. How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? And um, they then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And this was the context for the thoughts of my mind, which was instruction. Because the Pharisees, obviously, according to these scriptures, had leavened. And they had indeed joined with the Sadducees and, 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 and together, if you will, in order to you know, come at Jesus and uh, defeat, de- defeat his doctrine, so to speak. So the question that came into my mind was, you know, trying to tackle this from the standpoint of, I can read quotes that the, those calling themselves Jews today actually quote about themselves being um, uh, their religion, Judaism, being tied with ancient Phariseeism, without a without a glitch no no break and so they connect themselves and i thought you know okay let me try this another way for those professing christians if you in fact believe that those people called jews today are god's chosen people then doesn't not stand to reason that you would at least inquire about these people who claim that mantle. And in claiming that mantle, then there must be some words of wisdom that Christ spoke to them. And if those words that he spoke to them are words that should have meaning, and therefore we would ask ourselves, have those words had an impact. In other words, was the instruction from time to time that Christ gave the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, did they heed that instruction? So I'm I'm reversing it slightly for the benefit of the professing Christian who doesn't want to believe anything that you quote even when they hear it from their own voices as we did a few weeks ago when we aired the audio um so taking a little bit of a little different attack by coming at it from the from the 
idea that, okay, if you believe this and you believe that these people who call themselves Jews today are indeed those um, chosen of the Bible, then ask yourself some questions. So when you go to Pharisees in uh, Smith's uh, Bible Dictionary, which which I have, and I pulled it open, and I'd like to, I know we're really going to be pressed for time, so since we got a late start, we'll just keep recording, and I'll, I'll carry this to the end, and if somebody needs to drop off or anything, um, it'll be available in the archives. But under Pharisee, in Smith's Bible Dictionary. I'd like to read the whole thing to you. I've read a portion of this to you in the past. A religious party or school among the Jews at the time of Christ, so-called from perishan, the Aramaic form of the Hebrew word perishum, separated. The chief sects among the Jews were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, who may be described respectively as the formalists, the free thinkers, and the Puritans. So he's given you a little bit of a concept how to use that and term these three sects, S-E-C-T-S, of Pharisees in a modern context. Continuing, a knowledge of the opinions and practices of the Pharisees at the time of Christ is of great importance for entering deeply into the genius of the Christian religion. A cursory perusal of the Gospels is sufficient to show that Christ's teaching was in some respects thoroughly antagonistic to theirs. He denounced them in the bitterest language, and he cites a number of scriptures. To understand the Pharisees is by contrast an aid toward understanding the spirit of uncorrupted Christianity. The fundamental principle of the Pharisees common to them with all Orthodox modern Jews is that the side of the written law is that by the side of the written law as a summary of the principles and general laws of the Hebrew people, there was an oral law to complete and to explain the written law given to Moses at Mount Sinai and transmitted by him by word of mouth. The first portion of the Talmud, called the Mishnah or second law, continues this oral law. It is a digest of the Jewish traditions, a compendium of the whole ritual law, and it came at length to be esteemed far above the sacred text. Note that. It came at length to be esteemed far above the sacred text. While it was the aim of Jesus to call men to the law of God itself as the supreme guide of life, the Pharisees, upon the pretense of maintaining it intact, multiplied minute precepts and distinctions to such an extent that the whole of life of the Israelite was hemmed in and burdened on every side by instructions so numerous and trifling that the law was almost, if not wholly, lost sight of. These traditions, as they were called, had long been gradually accumulating. Of the trifling character of these regulations, innumerable instances are to be found in the Mishnah. Such were their washings before they could eat bread, and the special minuteness with which the forms of this washing were prescribed their bathing when they returned from the market, their washing of cups, pots, brazen vessels, etc., their fastings twice in the week, and cites Luke 18.12, such were their uh, tithings, Matthew 28.23, and such. Finally were those minute and vexatious extensions of the law of the Sabbath, 
which must have converted God's gracious ordinance of the Sabbath rest into a burden and a pain. Matthew 12, 1 to 13, Mark 3, 1 to 6, Luke 13, 10 to 17. It was a leading aim of the Redeemer to teach men that true piety consisted not in forms, but in substance, not in outward observances, but in inward spirit. The whole system of the Pharisaic piety led to exactly opposite conclusions. The lowliness of piety was, according to the teaching of Jesus, an inseparable concomitant of its reality. But the Pharisees sought mainly to attract the attention and to excite the admiration of men. Matthew 6, 2, 6, 16, 23, 5, 6, Luke 14, 7. Indeed, the whole spirit of the religion was summed up, not in confession of sin and in humility, but in a proud self-righteousness as proud self-righteousness at variance with any true conception of man's relation to either God or his fellow creatures. Very important, even with his fellow creatures. With all their pretenses to piety, they were in reality avaricious, sensual, and dissolute. Matthew 23, 25, John 8, 7. They looked with contempt upon every nation but their own. Luke 10, 29. Finally, Instead of endeavoring to fulfill the great end of the dispensation whose truths they professed to teach and thus bringing men to the hope of Israel, they devoted their energies to making converts to their own narrow views who with all the zeal of proselytes were more exclusive and more bitterly opposed to the truth than they were themselves, Matthew twenty-two fifteen, The Pharisees at an early day secured the popular favor and thereby acquired considerable political influence. This influence was greatly increased by the extensions of the Pharisees over the whole land and the majority which they obtained in the Sanhedrin. Their number reached more than 6,000 under the Herods. Many of them must have suffered death for political agitation. In the time of Christ, they were divided doctrinally into several schools, among which of those of Hillel and Shemai were most noted. And I'll stop there. So what we had in Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, and 11 and 12, is the, the leaven. The leaven, as we know, is not intended in relationship to the bread Christ was teaching them, but in relationship to their doctrine. In fact, if you flip over to page to chapter 15, you read through 1 to 20. I won't do all of that, but center in on 15:9 of Matthew, and this is what he said. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So there's our answer of what the leavening was. It was the commandments of men, the doctrine of the commandments of men, the teachings or the doctrine. Uh, uh, Leaven uh, was uh, number 2219 in Strong's. It's Zyme, Z-Y-M-E, the spreading influence of what is typically concealed. It's a teaching, a doctrine, leavening, um, a false pretenses. I'll go one up on you there. Okay. Uh, that comes from the high German 
language uh, they mentioned to accuse. Isn't that interesting? Mm, sure. In other, it words, is. in other words, uh, the art of persuasion, you take that leaven and you you persuade, which means you you convert them to your side through talk. And uh, I'm reading about all this earlier and then find out that that uh, to accuse is, is that that high German word you just said. And boy, doesn't that just fall right where it belongs into the accuser's lap? It does. It does indeed. And and the way that it's it's uh, it's described, the spreading influence of what is typically concealed. The spreading influence of what is typically concealed, a symbol of spreading a symbol of the spreading nature of evil, a pervasive, pernicious influence, a symbol of spreading nature of evil, a pervasive, pernicious influence. So this is what he's really saying to them by using that word. And in in fifteen one to twenty, he essentially turned the question that they put to him right back on them and asked them, "Well, why do they transgress the commandment of God by your traditions?" And as I said, fifteen nine is where he explains what the leaven leavening or the leaven was. It was their teaching. It was their doctrine and their instruction. And that's what really, I think, started keying me in with your text, Russell, was because, again, when you tell somebody to take money and then I'm going to tell you what to say and procure your protection, that is, in the same essence, a teaching. It is an influence of what is going to be concealed. It's a pernicious evil. It's a pervasive easel because by by the deceit and so forth, it's going to have a pernicious influence. And that's exactly what it does. And so I'm asking my fellow Christians the question, who do you know where such pernicious influence is a pervasive nature of evil? and, you know, see if we can begin to, you know, crack uh, into the minds and understanding of what Christ is trying to convey here in this, that in the word teaching is uh, uh, 1321, and the word doctrine is 1319, it's didascalia, it's instruction, doctrine, commandments. It's derived from 1778, which is derived from 1781, meaning a religious precept. <clears throat> Excuse me. So most professing Christians don't believe that the Pharisees are yet with or amongst us today. Um, 
they may believe that there are hypocrites because that word is also used by him in relation by Christ in relationship to them. And so they may say, well, yeah, there's even hypocrites within the church, you know, people who say one thing but do another. Okay, but how about the question, are they amongst us today? And who, if any, predominantly practices in such a way that their speech and their outward manifestations are not in line with the Scripture? And if we can at least come to that understanding, then perhaps there's some hope. So if the vast proportion of professing Christians simply disregard the possibility of the teaching or the instructions, the doctrines or the religious precepts are indeed still with us or amongst us today, then they couldn't possibly believe that they would be being disseminated or influenced in any way amongst the church, amongst the civil administrative body, or anything else. And in spite of the warning of Christ, why is it largely perceived that these individuals here simply faded away or, I guess, were destroyed along with the temple in 70 AD? I'm, I, you know, I'm missing that connection that they somehow believe that those individuals or people who practiced and spoke and taught in this manner no longer exist. You know, the simp. Go ahead, Russell. Why aren't we talking about lawyers when we talk about Sadducees and Pharisees? Yeah, scribes and Pharisees were, you know, essentially they all rolled themselves together into one. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting point that you make because I made a note in my notes about it's kind of like Republicans and Democrats. They're ostensibly on two different sides of an issue. Mm -hmm. But yet the vast majority of those people are what lawyers yeah. lawyers yeah so so couldn't they just have renamed themselves the bar uh, or lawyers or well, what's the english word for it uh that's that's banned in our constitution what's that word they use starts with an r i think you remember, Doug? Uh, that they banned. Ban- Bannister, maybe? No. Oh, yeah, Barrister. 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 It was, yeah, it was banned in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah barrister at that? law is what they called him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. So anyway, it's a controlling mechanism to insert the leaven through through this uh, reinterpretation of God's law, right? Exactly. You do, it one time, you do it one time, and now you've got precedence, don't you, a week or two later. And it turns into a tradition after a while, doesn't it? It does. 
It does. And in fact, Matthew chapter 15, verses 4 to 6, you see, when he says to them, God God commanded saying, honor the father and mother, and he that does uh, curse his father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or his mother, it's a gift by whatsoever thou might be profited me, honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So here he is, he's identifying their lax moral standard just in this tradition of men, basically saying, well, I've already, um, you know, I've already committed this money or this gift to the to the uh, to the temple. So therefore, I don't have any money to to provide to my uh, um, my uh, mother and father. And so therefore, I'm going to have to. um, you know, defer that uh, I can't uh, provide for my mother and father. And, of course, the Pharisees absolved them of any duty and responsibility. So they made the law of none effect. Instead of assisting their father and mother and providing for that, and even the temple, if a gift was made, that the temple would turn around and give that money to that child to be able to assist their parents, that was not what they were doing. So it was all symbolism over substance, which we've talked about many times. But so they would essentially absolve and and render the commandment of, of no effect. And there was their lax moral standard right there. And the reason that we spend time from time to time quoting from Jewish sources and their own writings is to provide proof to Christians and source information to understand that these Pharisees do exist today in a people who trace their religion without a break to the ancient Pharisees. But even as I say, if we would take that out of the equation and say, okay, now, if you believe that these individuals called Jews today are indeed God's chosen people, then you must believe that these people in the scripture here that he is speaking to are still in existence because in fact they profess that they are right they profess that they are the chosen people of god so therefore by that understanding and reasoning we should respect and understand therefore that these people calling themselves jews today would be the same people that he spoke to because I don't know if everybody understands me. Today's professing Christians seem to believe and be of the persuasion that these people called Jews today are indeed the line of descendants of these people right here that we're reading about. And so it's one of these things that, you know, kind of popped into my head. This is another way to tackle this that I haven't been using in the past. So the religion of Judaism is that religion of those people calling themselves Jews today. And as I say, there's plenty in the archives that we can go back to and and provide for those that are seeking some assistance. So being that Phariseeism is acknowledged by people calling themselves Jews today as equivalent with Judaism, As apostles of Christ and disciples of Christ, it would seem incumbent upon us to rightly identify them and explore 
and expose their hypocrisies with equal intention, as Christ did. In other words, their teachings are hypocrisies. If one says but then does not, that one secretly pretends or feigns the object for which is the intended purpose of the instruction or the teaching or the, dog, the doctrine or the religious precept. So if they're saying but they're not doing, we could identify that characteristic with a people that would exist for us today. So if a, a Jew teaches that he labors to ensure that the less fortunate or even the small downtrodden of humanity are protected by laws from discrimination or other harms, you can be assured this professed labor or doctrine that is espoused by them is actually a pretend doctrine or a pretend profession. And the way that we determine it is pretend is by the principles of cause and effect. If this labor that they labor in actually causes one to violate another one of Yahweh's God, laws, as 15, 3 to 6 clearly shows, then we are to know that this is a pretend, this is a hypocrisy, that's what hypocrite means, to pretend, a great pretender. So we don't have anything to fear in pointing this out. Does that mean that they would not seek to silence you or even kill you? No, no, not at all, because the servant is not above his master. In fact, Drop down in 15 from 4 and 6 where we were to verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Know thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? <laughs> uh, say, say uh, Jesus, don't you know that those Pharisees were really offended when you said those things? So, they're going to be offended, but they can't argue with the truth. And as I said, it's in, it seems incumbent upon us as professing sons of Christ and children of Christ that we're going to have to rightly uh, divide and call out the heresies. So, anyhow, there... Uh, if the espousal of the law to integrate other peoples, for example, or racial groups together violates the law of God, therefore it pretends to care about these people while refusing themselves to do it in their own land. And we all know that as well. So, there's another example that Christ is showing us about a people who does things this way. The leaven or the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees was such that it would make the law of God of none effect. In other words, it would turn it upside down. 
And so the insidiousness of the reasoning is always qualified by the professing Jews' own traditions of the rabbis that are codified in their Talmud. Therefore, the Talmud is as God. So when they speak from the wisdom of their rabbinic sages, they speak in their view with the authority of God. It's the tradition of the men, the tradition of rabbis, that is therefore become God. And the word of God has become of none effect. Isaiah 5.21 said, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And certainly, this is a people who appear to be quite wise in their own eyes. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to skip around here a little bit, 2 to 7, 13 to 15, and 25 to 28. And you'll see why I'm not leaving anything out for an intended purpose. Matthew 23, verses 2 to 7. This spake, uh, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude, to the disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid that you observe, that observe and do. But do not you after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge their borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogue and greetings in the markets and to be called of men Rabbi, Rabbi. Verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Drop down to 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which was in the cup and the platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whitened sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And woe unto you, scribes and premises, he goes on. I'm going to stop there. You know, the thought occurred to me when I made that note and I was reviewing this scripture. Have you ever tried to wash a cup or a plate without getting the outside of the cup washed or the outside of the plate washed? And this is what's so comical sometimes about the simplicity that Christ uses. You know, how often do we think about something like that? It's really impossible to wash the inside of that cup without getting the outside washed also. If you hold it in one hand and you're washing with the other, although the 
the water and soap and so forth is going to dribble out the backside and you got to wash the outside of it. You know, it's just funny. But these passages convey there's a conniving, cunning, staged deception by these people. A deception and a cunning which makes two full more child of hell those that are drawn in. Now, he said this more than 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine how many more full sons of hell, meaning death, because the wages of sin is death. So if they're going to continue in sin and be drawn in by those that are leavening, then they're going to be twofold more child of hell than those that actually proselyted them to their will. And this is what was happening is the Pharisees were drawing men in to their religion, if you will. It had nothing to do with anything remotely close to the intended will or the legislative intent of the scriptures and the commands of God. And they actually convey shutting off access to the blessings of the kingdom, binding heavy burdens instead, while making long prayers they do to cover their pretentious thievery and their works of iniquity. And I believe that the reason that the Pharisees and the scribes are both named was simply because the scribes' function was as a recorder and essentially an explainer of the law. When it came time to somebody needing to hear the law, they would read it, and any notes that they might have ascribed into the area, it would help with an explanation of the application of the law. Here's what Vine's um, expository dictionary said of these people. They were ambitious of honor and leaders of the people. Both of these sects, S-E-C-T-S, combined in one purpose. And that's what I was mentioning earlier, like a lot like the Democrats and Republicans, they seem to be on different sides, um, and yet they were combined, if you will, or joined by one common thread, which was they were lawyers, or they are lawyers in terms of our modern analogy. And there's really no difference, and yet the burdens are still upon the people. And I mentioned how Russell's text really started to impress upon me that I was going in the right direction with this, because think about it. We're being told, let us educate your children so that they're not going to be ignorant. And what do they do when they educate the children? Have the children become wiser? Have the children become better? Have the children become more godly? Have the children become um, more studious? Have the children become anything that you would want them to become? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, If they say, take this money, and then say, by taking this money, we want you to go out there and tell everybody that the jab is safe, it's it's effective, and it's indeed beneficial and absolutely necessary. So this is what they have been doing, and we should be looking to those that have taken this 
type of instruction and are using it and wielding it against the general people. And the scribes of Christ's day are the ones who held the sway with the people and had these these names ascribed to them called rabbi, teacher. And so we have to ask, who's teaching us today? From the highest levels of administration, what do we have? We have these various people who call themselves Jews today in the top positions and seats of every major civil administrative position. And so one might say, well, they're not teaching us, Doug. Okay, but who owns the publishing houses, which turns out the books, which are teaching your children? Who abdicates or dictates the money that's being given to school boards and school districts to say that you must use this curriculum in spite of the harm and the damage that it's doing to either or any of the races. And we should be able to consider the many ways in which people are taught or instructed. Jesus questioned their instruction, their teaching, saying that they taught traditions of the elders, not the writing of Moses. This is another key indicator to us. If we're not being taught the writings of Moses, but are rather being taught traditions and doctrines and teachings and instructions of the uh, elders in this case, then we're not being taught the writings of Moses. We receive instruction or teaching by parents and grandparents and school teachers and church leaders and pastors and the press, the media, movies, elected officials, advertisements, published works of all kinds, and rendering most individuals incapable of thinking as those calling themselves Jews today who equate themselves with Pharisees of old pervade the minds of the people as their guide. And it's like a leaven. It seeps through the minds of the people which shapes public, uh, public opinion. And therefore, they create by instruction as a leaven public perception and social norms and public opinion. So in this respect, it's not public opinion at all, but rather it's Pharisaic opinion, always. What the people think Christ said was not exactly as what the Pharisees did. So he was warning them and saying, look, your thinking has to change. What you think you're being taught is indeed correct, but you cannot do as those that are doing what they do because you will become destroyed by it. I know this isn't, you know, revelation to any of us here, but I keep trying to think of ways that I can reach those people to see this biblical record more applicable to today. It was one of the things I spoke with pastor about and and, and said, you know, it seems as if we just don't have any way to make this applicable. It's just stories. It just it it's it doesn't resonate with 
the people. They take the Sunday service, uh, sermon and they, and, they, and they walk away. I remember, as I had that discussion with Pastor Peters, I said, you know, Pastor, I said, one of the, the things that I've done is that I had taken one of his messages and I had completely re-recorded it. And I said, because there are people who are tainted by the fact that it's Peter John Peters because they have gone and typed the name into a Google search or they've done this or that. And as a result, they've come back with this disinformation, which prevented them from hearing something as valuable as what he had to convey. And as I was telling him that and sharing these things with him, this is when, you know, he said for me to, you know, um, do what we did with starting solutions and so forth. But I, I realized that there are times that we have difficulty trying to reach our brothers and sisters in Christ, even close family, and that it may be more helpful if we can come at them with another source of the information other than one that they've already got a preconceived notion of and they won't even allow the first you know foot in the door so to speak and sometimes i think that it's necessary to do that and i know that that i have witness of emails that i've received of people that have had that message resonate with them in such a way that they were able to receive more of the truth. And just like the email that I shared with you all several weeks ago, um, I responded to this emailer, gave four or five different um, pieces that the individual could go to um, to hopefully uh, attain an opportunity to actually let this light imbue them as opposed to being detracted. I sent them to Melissa's site for able to see and hear something from there just because perhaps, you know, that helps. Um, uh, so in various ways when I can, even sending them off to another direction, it's something that I will try try to do in order to see if we can help them to to get over the hurdle, if you will, of something that should not be much of a hurdle. But I, as I say, I recognize this is all teaching and instruction. And so uh, naturally, our heart should want to yearn to be able to help them to overcome this bad instruction. And the other thing that occurred to me is that we see this over and over again on every major newscast, whether it's the mainstream media or the new conservative upstarts. Think about this. The viewers are introduced to a, to a, a topic or a subject or a, a, an issue of the day. And then what is paraded out in front of them is a parade of teachers or pundits, opinion pundits, or, or other professionals that are being called upon to explain the who, what, the when, the where, and the how of the subject that's under discussion. So the new media has actually adopted the same model of instruction. You'll see it when you watch the new media. So they take away, at the very least, 
they're directing the listeners and the viewers thinking to agree with the professional or the pundits uh, espoused views or their instructions or teaching. This is how we've got away from so much ability of people to critically think something through on their own. Television and media and social media and so forth is constantly dictating and driving the the um, direction of their minds and really what they will accept. And I think that this is something that I saw, you know, OAN News and RAV, you know, um, RAV that, that Bannon is the, is the big guy for the RAV. And what's he got on there? He's got a, a, a rabbi that comes on and gives prayer, long, drawn-out prayer. And these two do not go hand-in-hand hand with each other. The, the Pharisees of today, you know, when our thoughts are not captive to the thoughts, the intents, and the teachings of Christ our King, we will be swept away with the doctrines of men. The Pharisees today, those calling themselves Jews, they're incessantly at war against the will of God, while appearing righteous and instructing by pervasive leavening all of these various, you know, entities that people are receiving instruction from. And Russell said in that text, the more things change, the more they stay the same, or in essence, in essence, that's what he was, you know, what he was, what he was saying. And this is a programming of an entire, you know, portion of the society. And all of these that are in the alternative news, they're being indoctrinated in the same way that they were indoctrinating us through the television and so forth before. And it's really imagery that's right there in front of us, and yet the people keep running to it like a hog to the slop. So, as I say, these two can't go in hand in hand together. And Charlie Kirk, he's another one. He's the big Turning Point USA founder, you know, that has arrived on the scene, the young upstart, you know. And he's publicly declared recently something to the effect that you can't be a Christian or even call yourself one if you don't love Jews and if you don't love Israel. I, I, I can't think of anything more preposterous that could be said than that when the Christ's very word says beware of this and we can find it and see it over and over and over again in everything that these people control and have their hands in um i could go on with numerous examples but you know i can't I, it's there's just not time for it. but here's another thing i, I want to get this in if the Pharisees transgress the command of God by their tradition, which Christ said they do, 
And if that people called Pharisees drew nigh unto Yahweh with their mouth and honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him, which Christ said that they do, Matthew 15, 8, the other one was 15, 3, if that people called Pharisees did in vain worship God, 15, 9, if that people called Pharisees worship in vain because they taught for doctrines the commandments of man and Christ said that they do, 15, 9, if that people called Pharisees rejected the stone which became the head of the corner and they do, Matthew 21, 42, and if that people called Pharisees was to have the king uh, of the kingdom of God taken from them and given to another nation, as Christ said it would, and it was transferred to the Son, Matthew 28, 28, 30, Matthew 21, 43, if that people called Pharisees made light of the wedding preparation of a certain king, and a remnant was abused by the king's servants, as Christ said they did, and murdered them, Matthew 22, 5 and 6. And if that people called Pharisees would lift a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath, but would not do a good work as Christ said they did, Matthew 12, 11 to 12. And if that people called Pharisees children's cast out devils and demons as Christ said they do, Matthew 12, 27. And if that people called Pharisees dishonored their father and mother by their tradition as Christ said they do, Matthew 15, 5 to 6. If that people called Pharisees sit in Moses' seat and Christ said they do, Matthew 23, 2. And if that people called Pharisees perform all their works for to be seen of men, and Christ said they do, Matthew 23, 5, if that people called Pharisees enlarged their credentials, and Christ said they do, Matthew 23, 15, or 23, 5, and if Christ said... If that people, I should say, called Pharisees, love the uppermost seats in the chambers and at feasts, as Christ said they do. Now, I trust you can see where I'm going in this line of thinking. I could continue and continue page after page of the scriptures. Why is it? that we cannot believe what he says. He has told us that their teaching is like leaven. It's pervasive and it permeates. It's destructive teaching. It's hypocritical teaching. It, it was leaven. It, it, he told us this. It stands to reason that they would stand guilty of these same things throughout their history. Indeed, it would stand out and actually witness against them. And it does. 
since those people calling themselves Jews today trace their religion without a break to ancient Phariseeism of Christ's day, and even if it did not, even if they did not say it by their own mouths, as I said, just consider the very idea that they still profess and claim to be God's chosen people. And as that title and moniker, then would it not stand a reason that those people still today would be those people who would have these kinds of characteristics? And the answer to that can only be yes. This was a warning which is not simply just for another time under an entirely different set of circumstances. It's wholly applicable today. And if it is, why would we skip hand in hand with those that we have been warned are full of dead men's bones? In other words, dead men who will not see eternal life. Two full more sons of hell, hell, Gehenna, the grave. Two more fold more sons of the grave. Not resurrected to life, but in the grave. Dry, dead bones, just as Ezekiel records. Israel was dry, dead bones. But remember, Ezekiel was told, that they would rise and those bones would take upon sinew and muscle and so forth. Israel was going to be repaired and restored. So the question on every professing Christian's mind ought to be, am I being taught by a Pharisee? Because if you are, you're being taught by Judaism. It's Judaism that supports interracial marriages for you, but not for them because their TV programming promotes it. Judaism supports integration of other races, but not for Jews. Judaism supports free speech, but not if that speech exposes Jewish hypocrisy or other Jewish traditions which are contrary to Yahweh's will. People are essentially being programmed by the teaching of Judaism for the purpose and will of Judaism. They're being manipulated and behaviorally modified. What Jesus is describing to us is a people which artfully concealed the real manifestation of their teaching. And Christ had to illuminate their understanding that the manifestation of all their pretensions was hypocrisy a pervasive influence which was influencing and directing the minds. Do you think the Pharisees' teaching and doctrine was able to modify behavior? Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, and I've got some great stuff to conclude this with. So if you have to go, that's fine, but I'm telling you, you're going to want to pull it out of the archives. So I'm going to go to Luke 22, and I, I'm, I'm not done. It will take me another half hour. But um, Luke 22, uh, 66 to 71 to begin with. 
Here we go. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you'll not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, You say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness for ourselves have heard it from his own mouth? 23. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? He answered and said, Thou says it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And of course, we've correctly translated those words as Judah and Judea and so forth. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. I'm going to stop there and for the sake of time, drop down to 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people, and behold, I have examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. Uh, No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. 18, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. 21, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. So I ask you the question, do you think the Pharisees' teaching and doctrine was able to modify behavior? And this is exactly what they did, was they whipped up the crowd and modified the behavior from what they had just been a few days earlier, or whatever the time frame was, and said, Hosanna in the highest. Um, in Acts chapter 17, at verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came hither also and stirred up the people. So here we are, we're seeing that they are involved in behavior modification. See, if that helps us to reach our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you know, because behavior modification is some, uh, somewhat of a, of, a, of a modern term and a, and a buzz term in the circles of, of, you know, the conservative right, I guess, and so forth. So maybe behavior modification is something that they'll be able to receive. Now, 
I have talked to with you before about the ARCO volume. It's A-R-C-H-K-O volume. I have explained how it came into existence. The individual who claims he had gone to search out these records that it was his understanding existed and how he put what he found in the various areas of the Vatican and other places that uh, he was led and drawn to by others or whatever to, to find them. So I'm reading from the Arco volume, and I'm on page 131 of that book. And I, I'm going to begin with this because this is another one of the important ones that a lot of people have not heard out of this. And you can take it for what it is. I realize this is not scripture. Um, these were the reports of the individuals to the Roman Senate and so forth. Um, he talks about at the beginning of the book, the discovery of the records, how he came to discover them. Uh, he writes a little bit about the general understanding of the Talmud, uh, speaks about Jonathan's interview, Gamaliel's interview, um, the report of Caiaphas, and Pilate's report, which is I'm going to read to uh, from uh, read uh, from for you now. I'm on page 131, about halfway down. It said, <clears throat> um, uh, I'm going to skip a few places in between to give you the sense of it. A young man, it was said, had appeared in Galilee preaching. This Jesus of Nazareth spoke rather as a friend of the Romans rather than of the Jews. His golden-colored hair and beard gave to his appearance a celestial aspect. He appeared to be about 30 years of age. Never have I seen a sweeter or more serene countenance. Now I'm going to drop over to page 133. Um, he, had, he describes that he gave him unlimited freedom, even though he'd known that he was doing this preaching over the last couple, three years. So then Pilate goes on to report that the scribes and the Pharisees, he would say to them, you are a race of vipers. You resemble painted sepulchers. You appeal, appear well unto men, but you have death within you. Um, complaints were daily made at the Praetorium against the insolence of Jesus. I was even informed that some misfortune would befall him, that it would not be the that if some misfortune would befall him, and it would not be the first that Jerusalem had stoned those who called themselves prophets. I wrote to Jesus requesting an interview with him at the Praetorium. He came. You know that in my veins flows the Spanish mixed with Roman blood, as incapable of fear as it is of weak emotion. In other words, he's touting himself as being a strong person of not of weak emotion. But when the Nazarene made his appearance, I was walking in my basilic, and my feet seemed fastened with an iron hand to the marble pavement, and I trembled. I had every limb as does a guilty culprit, though the Nazarene was as calm as innocence itself. 
I'm just trying to give you a little sense of how Pilate viewed him as I get into the point of the behavior modification. However, he says, I must not conceal from you, speaking to Jesus, that your discourses have raised up against you powerful and inveterate enemies. Yours are doubly incensed against you on account of your discourses being so severe upon their conduct against me on account of the liberty that I've afforded you. He says, Pilate says again, my request, I do not say, my order is that you be more circumspect and moderate in your discourses in the future and more considerate of them, lest you arouse the pride of your enemies and they raise against you the stupid populace and compel me to employ the instruments of law. The Nazarene calmly replied, Prince of the earth, your words proceed not from true wisdom. Say to the torrent to stop in the midst of the mountain gorge, it will uproot the trees of the valley. The torrent will answer you that it obeys the laws of nature and the Creator. God alone knows whether flow the waters of the torrent. Verily I say unto you, before the rose of Sharon blossoms, the blood of the just shall be spilt. To which Pilate responds, Your blood shall not be spilt, said I with deep emotion. You are more precious in my estimation on account of your wisdom than all the turbulent and proud Pharisees who abuse the freedom granted them by the Romans. They conspire against Caesar and convert his bounty into fear, impressing the unlearned that Caesar is a tyrant and seeks their ruin. Insolent wretches! They are not aware that the wolf of the Tiber sometimes clothes himself with the skin of the sheep to accomplish his wicked designs. I will protect you against them. My praetorium shall be an asylum, sacred both day and night. Jesus carelessly shook his head and said with a grave and divine smile, When the day shall have come, there will be no asylums for the Son of Man, neither in the earth nor under the earth. The asylum of the just is there, pointing to the heavens. That which is written in the books of the prophets must be accomplished. Continuing now to page 136. Prince of the earth, replied Jesus, I come not to bring war into the world, but peace, love, and charity. I was born the same day on which Augustus Caesar gave peace to the Roman world. Persecutions proceed not from me. I expect it from others and will meet it in obedience to the will of my Father. I'm continuing now. On page 137. My emissaries informed me that the treasures of the temple had been employed in bribing the people. The danger was pressing. A Roman centurion had been insulted. I wrote to the prefect of Syria for a hundred foot soldiers and as many cavalry. He declined. I saw myself alone with a handful of veterans. Remember, Pilate is giving a report to the Roman Senate because the Roman Senate is inquiring as to what happened in these days. And this is his report. Continuing, I saw myself alone with a handful of veterans in the midst of a rebellious city, 
too weak to suppress an uprising and having no choice left to tolerate it. They had seized upon Jesus and the seditious rabble, although they had nothing to fear from the Praetorium, believing as their leaders had, had told them that I winked at their sedition, continued vociferating, crucify him, crucify him. Three powerful parties had combined together at that time against Jesus. And then he describes the Herodians, Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Continuing, the Pharisees were avowed enemies of Jesus. They cared not for the government. They bore with bitterness the severe reprimands which the Nazarene for three years had continually been giving them wherever he went. Timid and too weak to act by themselves, they had embraced the quarrels of the Herodians and the Sadducees. Continuing. All Judea appeared to be pouring into the city. The Nazarene was brought back to me. I proceeded to the halls of justice followed by my guard, and I asked the people in a severe tone what they demanded. The death of the Nazarene was the reply. For what crime? He has blasphemed. He has prophesied the ruin of the temple. He calls himself the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of the Judeans. <clears throat> Roman justice, I said, punishes not such offenses with death. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, cried the relentless rabble. The vociferations of the infuriated mob shook the palace to its foundations. There was but one who appeared to be calm in the midst of the vast multitude. It was the Nazarene. After the many fruitless attempts to protect him from the fury of the merciless persecutors, I adopted a measure which at the moment appeared to me to be the only one that could save his life. I proposed, as it were, their custom to deliver a prisoner on such occasions to release Jesus and let him go free that he might be the scapegoat, as they called it. But they said Jesus must be crucified. I then spoke to them of the inconsistency of their course as being incompatible with their laws, showing that no criminal judge could pass sentence on a criminal unless he had fasted one whole day and that the sentence must have the consent of the Sanhedrin and the signature of the president of that court, that no criminal could be executed on the same day his sentence was affixed and the next day, on the day of his execution, uh, the Sanhedrin was required to review the whole proceeding. Also, according to their law, a man was stationed at the door of the court with a flag and another a short way off on horseback to cry the name of the criminal and his crime, the names of his witnesses, and to know if anyone could testify in his favor. And the prisoner on his way to execution had the right to turn back three times and plead any new thing in his favor. I urged all these pleas, hoping they might awe them, hoping they might awe them into subjection, but they still cried, Crucify him, crucify him. I then ordered Jesus to be scourged, hoping this might satisfy them, but it only increased their fury. I then called for a basin and washed my hands in the presence of the clamorous multitude, thus testifying that in my judgment Jesus of Nazareth had done nothing deserving of death, but in vain. It was his life the wretches thirsted for. Often in our civil commotions have I witnessed the furious anger of the multitude, but nothing could be compared to what I witnessed on this occasion. It might have truly been said, 
that all the phantoms of the infernal regions had assembled at Jerusalem. The crowd appeared not to walk, but to be borne off and whirled as a vortex, rolling along in living waves from the portals of the Praetorium even unto Mount Zion, with howling screams, shrieks, and vociferations such as were never heard in the seditions of the Pannonia or in the tumults of the Forum. By degrees, the day darkened like a winter's twilight, such as had been at the death of the great Julius Caesar. It was likewise the Ides of March. I, the continued governor of a rebellious province, was leaning against a column of my basilic, contemplating athwart the dreary gloom of these fiends of Tartarus dragging to execution the innocent Nazarene. All around me was deserted. Jerusalem had vomited forth her indwellers. And I'm going to stop there. The thing that was just so striking in that report is how he said they, it was this, as if they were in a tumult. They were just whipped up. And this is why I asked the question, do you think... The Pharisees' teaching and doctrine was able to modify behavior. Because this clearly is behavior modification. And this is exactly what they did with the tumult and the crowd. One day they were praising him as Hosanna in the highest and laying their garments in front of him. And the next day, the entire populace of Judea, and I'm sure he means that as literally most all of it, but we know it would not have been all of it because there was a remnant, and there certainly were the disciples and and the families and so forth. Um, but just whisked away into a vortex and this is what we see happening right now. You look at some of this stuff that's going on and the people are being whipped up into a frenzy. And some of these people who think they're doing God's work out here by using such outlandish actions um, in an attempt to somehow make the points, they're doing no service to the vast majority of the people, and certainly not to the real people of God. Because as we saw in Scripture, the true people of God, the disciples, the true adherents, they were the ones who were crucified. Yes, there were others that were killed and lost in 70 AD. No doubt about it. And probably even others leading up to it in the various tumults, certainly. They were there were, but my point is is that these individuals are not doing a favor to the cause because they do not stand in the righteousness of the gospel of Christ in the truth of it. Rather, they use the tactics of the evil ones themselves, and this Christ did not do. I wanted to also share with you from the Hillel letters 
Now, Hillel was, you know, a prominent figure in the Sanhedrin. And so he was inquired of. On page 164, uh, as a Judahite, or as the term is called, Jews, he said, page 164, now, let us as honest, again, he's responding to the Senate with regards to this inquiry being made into the incidents leading up to and pertaining to the death Let us, as honest Jews, look in our own natures and examine our actions in light of God's holy revelation and see if our present condition is. Now, let us, as honest Jews, look in our own natures and examine our actions in light of God's holy revelation and see if our present condition is not deserving on our part. And if we find that it is, we who have forsaken God instead of his having forsaken us then let us do as our fathers did in egypt and as our fathers did in babylon they hung their harps they clothed themselves in sackcloth and ashes they mourned they not only ceased to act wickedly but they showed by their regrets and acknowledgement that they would act differently in the future and god had compassion on them and moved the heart of their wicked king to pity them that they might return and rebuild their temple. These were the ways in which they conducted themselves. And look at the results that followed. Now these things were for their own good, and they were recorded that we might learn what to do, provided we should be brought into the same condition. Now I wish my Jewish brethren to understand that I am not a follower of this Nazarene that has created so much strife among the people, neither do I endorse his new doctrines. Yet I think it would be well for us not to be too hasty in forming our conclusions on this or any other subject. I heard Peter preach the other day, and as he and John came out of the temple, there was a man that had been lying around at the gates in public crossings for years. He was unable to walk, having no soundness in his feet and ankle bones. As they were passing him, he asked them for help. Peter said he had nothing to give, but he said, In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, I say unto thee, Rise up and walk. And the man sprang to his feet, seemingly perfectly sound, and commenced praising God at the top of his voice, which caused a great commotion among the people, and the police came and took Peter and John to prison as peacebreakers. I thought I never saw such an outrage. It is right to arrest men for evil, but to arrest and imprison men for doing good is something I cannot comprehend. This has been the fault of us Jews in all time. No odds what good was done if it was not done just as the priest thought it would be it ought to be done it was wrong 
When I saw the act of Peter toward the helpless man, I said to myself, there is the power of Moses. There is the power of Jehovah manifest in human flesh. There is the power needed by us Jews to reinstate the kingdom of heaven. This is the power that has followed the Jews in times past. And the only distinguishing mark that makes us different from other nations of the earth. This was peculiar power of Jesus of Nazareth, and because he did not work according to Jewish rule, they condemned him to die. It was not because his works were not good works, but because he did not do them according to Jewish custom, end quote. I thought that was really instructive and insightful as well. You see, the people called Jews today if they are indeed, as they profess, to be the people of God, true Judahites of the tribe of Judah, they would do well to learn, as Hillel said, about the biblical record. And they would turn from those ways But we know that you cannot get to the Father but through the Son. And they must confess that name above all names. And they don't seem interested in doing so. So these people called Jews today and the practice of their religion called Judaism requires the destruction of Christianity and the Christianized West. Because religion, like an ancient idol worship, is form over substance. And the true ways of God are not religion in form but they are lived and practiced exclusively and in conformity to his will. Hillel said, do this and the nation will prosper. Do this and a people will prosper. Do this and nations and races of people which conform to it will be blessed. Or they will be destroyed by it. Ignore God and his will in our land and we will be destroyed. The mentality of the Pharisees was that the people be obedient to their form of religious adherence and as such, the people were easily directed to their will. And that's exactly what's happening in the Western countries. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Verses 29 to 32. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, 
backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. America and Western nations have taken pleasure in doing these things that these people called Jews have incited them to engage in all over the world. And they have become twofold more sons of hell than these same people called Jews today have incited them to become. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers, and their damnation slumbers not. And you want the solution to this? Solutions found in Luke. It's found in other places, but turn to Luke 14 with me. In verse 34. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? You see, salt and light are the solution. So let us shed light on the evildoers and let us be as salt because we faint not in the duty. Heavenly Father, it's my prayer that this message may find fruitful ground and would bear fruit upward. For your glory and for your name, I pray a blessing upon it wherever it goes. I ask you for it, giving thanks 
were it already being done. Amen. Amen. Good night, everyone. Amen.